Praise the Lord. I am Rajat and you are listening to Biblical Demand Podcast where we discuss and answer difficult questions raised against the Bible, God and the Christian faith. In the Gospel according to Apostle John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus said, "And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free." Amen. So let's get started. Welcome to Biblical Demand and today our guest is Douglas Wilson. Joy to have you sir. Thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So let's begin with your story that tell us about yourself how did you come to know Jesus I was uh, privileged by the grace of God to be born into a Christian home I was brought up by Christian parents and more than that they were uh, serious Christians meaning they lived what they taught so I was loved and cared for and taught from a very uh, early age and um I professed faith in Christ when I was a young boy. I was 4 years old um and grew up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then I joined the Navy, the US Navy and spent a, a a hitch in the Navy. And the Navy is not exactly a uh bastion of righteousness. It's you know, it's not a bunch of people pursuing the Lord. And uh so I realized when I went out on my own that I would have to stand on my own two feet as a Christian. I I was very privileged to be brought up in a Christian home, but I had to take steps to make sure that my faith was my own. And um uh, so that was a formative time when I was 18 years old or so, and I decided to fly the flag and let people know that I was a Christian and intended to live that way and and then I got um tested in sort of the crucible of um street level apologetics you know people challenging my faith and and me having to respond and and so that was a very good time for me getting my my faith solidified and established wow that's wonderful to hear that you were born and brought up in a christian home and um, devout christian family those your parents influenced you and uh, since childhood you've been following christ and uh, Uh, after that you explore yourself as as many people say that uh, born in a christian family doesn't make you a christian but right, uh, right? so you uh, by the grace of god you acknowledge that i should know who lord is and then you uh, right you went into Absolutely. street level apologetics and as we are doing like people are asking questions about our faith and we are defending the christian faith uh, based on first right. peter 3:15 yes right So moving on to this question that uh, as we all are Christian believers bible believers right and uh, uh, the people have a lot of questions regarding the bible and its authenticity and also people find the bible conservative for example christians believe that bible is inerrant and it is true in all that it affirms and also on the other hand it opposes and does not allow many things like homosexuality alcoholism sex before marriage and if we read old testament in particular it is filled with do's and don'ts so the question is does the bible make you conservative could we just exp- <laughs> uh, uh, elaborate more and give more explanation on this those who think bible is yes. for conservatives um i would say yes and no okay yes and no and let me give you the yes first because that's probably the most obvious and most uncontroversial part of it and then i'll get to the the way in which it doesn't right So uh if someone were to sit down and interview a consistent Christian someone who knew his bible well 
and just asked him about what his opinions were on a number of specific issues. Do you support the death penalty uh, for certain crimes? Uh, or do you think homosexuality is a sin? Do you think uh, there should be such a thing as homosexual marriage? Do you think that there should be uh, free access to abortion? Do you, you know, and they just go down a list of all of those questions. And the person speaking from a biblical framework answered those questions. The interviewer at the end of it would say, well, you're a conservative. You're some kind of, <laughs> I know what a conservative is and you're it. So that so that's the sense in which I would say yes. The second sense in which I would say no is you can be a conservative without being a Christian. And I think being being a consistent Christian makes you conservative, but being conservative doesn't make you Christian. Right? And 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 for that I have to go to um something uh, in the nature of the verb so when you say you're conservative, that implies the verb conserve. And then I would say, so what is it you're conserving? What, what, what are you conserving? And then if someone says he's a progressive, I would say, well, what is it that you're progressing toward? Okay, so um, there are certain verbs that you don't know if they're a virtue or a vice until you get to the direct object. If I said, I love and then fill in the blank. I love, you don't know if I'm a virtuous or an ungodly man just from that, because I might fill it in with, I love ice cream. I might fill it in, I love my mother. I love my country. I love my Bible. I love child pornography. You know, it's the direct object that makes the person righteous or unrighteous. In the same way, it's the direct object. What are you, so you're a conservative. What are you conserving? Are you, are you conserving, are you an old guard communist in the Politburo conserving the old Soviet ways? Well, that's not a good, you know, that's not good. Uh, so I would describe myself as a conservative who wants to conserve and preserve everything the Holy Spirit has done in our history up to this point. And I want to progress toward the things that the Holy Spirit has not yet done. So I would, I'd prefer to call myself just simply a Christian who believes the Bible and other people will tag me as a conservative and I'm willing to own that, but I don't want to be owned by any political party of uh, people who don't know God or don't love God. Um, basically, it's not an automatic alliance. I, I would, I, I want to keep the church independent. Great. So you said that uh, on some cases you are yes and some on cases no. I mean, if it, if you can call me, if you want to call me conservative just because I hold some certain beliefs, so you can call me a conservative. But uh, on the other hand, uh, many things I'm not conserv conserved about, like, you know, Bible is teaches us the liberty that there is a freedom in love and uh, and all these, uh, 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 what do you call, limits, or when we say we are conservative, is actually, uh, in other sense, we are li getting liberal, right? For example, uh, if Bible says, no, don't have sex before marriage, it, it doesn't make me conservative. It actually makes me liberal because I have to 
keep the sex sacred and it is the unification between man and woman right, right. it doesn't defile the sanctity right, right? so you hold the both positions if people call it call you conservative one yeah now i think i think to be fair if you took all the positions together someone would say yeah you're a conservative and you're you're surprisingly open-handed on caring for the poor or doing certain things that some people associate with being liberal um but that's just the way it goes mm, yeah correct so uh moving on to this question that we christians are concerned about justice that's a part of this uh, conservatism that christian are you know concerned about justice since the beginnings and especially the social justice and it saddens us when we see injustice around us right and and people are and we also see people are crying for justice and in many cases people don't get justice uh you know and uh, and we see injustice and it really saddens us so uh, this question always comes to the mind that if god exists then why do we see injustice in the world right so this is one of my favorite uh, i'll just be honest with you this is one of my favorite questions and um it came up uh when i was debating christopher hitchens it comes up it comes up in, in debates with atheists all the time and it's historically called the problem of evil. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then why is there evil in the world? Okay? So, let me acknowledge at the front end that for Christians, that is a problem that we have to talk about. We we do have to discuss it and we do have to give an answer for it. But almost 100% of the time, the person asking the question has an even bigger problem. Okay, let's so let's say I'm talking to a dogmatic atheist and he says if there's a god then why is there evil in the world? Why is there injustice in the world? And I would say, well, if there is no god, what is injustice? If there is no god, where are you getting this idea of injustice? Right? We're just protoplasm. We're just bits of matter banging around. We, we are just ugly bags of mostly water, and there is no God. We're just atoms clashing. And if we are just atoms clashing, if the world is simply a materialistic thing, grinding away, time and chance, acting on matter, then the Holocaust or you know, Auschwitz or a horrendous war, genocides, are just, it's like foam off of the sea. It's nothing. It's like swamp gas. It doesn't matter. Uh, so consequently, the the person asking the question um, has to recognize that he believes that there is no God, but the existence of God is the only thing that enables him to identify something as evil. All right. So the Christian has, if God, then why evil? The atheist has no God, no evil, no problem, right? So why are you, so I'd say to the atheist, why are you so upset? Um, you, you just believe that our lives are meaningless. So basically, uh, I would say that the problem of evil is a problem that the atheist has because he can't give an accounting for evil. Now, and he says, okay, you, you got me. I've got to think about that. But why don't you ask? Why don't you answer the question? All right. Um, uh, with the um, 
And so the question, the, the answer that I would give is, that, okay, so first, you know that the, um, uh, that without God, you don't have any sense of evil. So the Christian does have a definition for evil, but then he has the question, why, why does God allow it? Right? Why, why does this good God allow it? And the biblical answer is God allows and decrees evil for his own glory. God, God uh, created, so it's, it's, I think, indisputable that the world is a screwed up place and that God put it here, <laughs> right? If we believe that God is the creator and if we believe that God is everywhere, if we believe that God is all powerful, then what's going on is going on at the bare minimum with his permission. You know, God, God could put a stop to everything right now god could fix the mess in afghanistan right now god could fix world hunger right now god could fix all of those things right now and the answer i think the only intellectually honest answer is that god doesn't do it because he doesn't want to and he doesn't want to because he wants to teach us how to do it he he, he has uh, converted a people to himself he has formed the church. He has given us our marching orders. And those marching orders include discipling the nations, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And that means the amelioration of evil. As, as people are converted and they start following Christ, we're going to be tackling evil head on. Hmm. Absolutely. You, I mean, you made a very good point that if, if an atheist asks you that if God then why is so evil and suffering or while there is injustice and you said that uh, if no god how do you get this idea of a concept of injustice right how do you know something right. is happening evil or something is good but when you uh, but the honest question would be an intellectual question would be if god then why does god allow such things happen and you know why god does allow such things to happen yeah. for example as you mentioned the world hunger or the case in happening in afghanistan and so on so, so do you think that this uh, particular notion or this particular uh, concept of evil and suffering is, is only based on the man's doing, like the free will concept in the Christian doctrines will be the free will? No, no there, because there are, there are natural evils, earthquakes, yeah. tornadoes, hurricanes. Uh, you know, there are natural evils that happen that insurance companies call acts of God. Yeah. Uh, but those things happen. Those things happen because we are in a sinful world. I believe that if Adam and Eve had not rebelled, uh, we wouldn't be dealing with tornadoes and hurricanes. We wouldn't be dealing with natural evils. So they're not the direct result of sins by people, but they are the indirect result of, of these sins. So, so uh, these natural evils do occur um, and and again, they're from the hand of God. It says in Amos, can disaster, if disaster befalls a city, have not I, the Lord, done it? So, so God is sovereign over these things. But as I like to tell my, tell my people, they've heard me say this many times, God's, God draws straight with crooked lines. Right? God draws straight with crooked lines. His <laughs> sovereignty is such that he can override our evil choices and the afflictions that we go through, he can override them for good. 
And the best example I know of that is the betrayal, the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world. The worst evil that was ever committed was the crucifixion of Jesus. And when Judas betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, that was just awful. Okay? So uh, he did that. It was awful. It was the worst crime ever committed. And in that moment, God was saving the world. Mm -hmm. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that was a crooked line. If ever there was a crooked line, and God drew straight with it. Yeah. Right? So what uh, in Acts chapter 4, it says Herod, Pontius Pilate, all the Jews did what your will and purpose determined beforehand to happen. So Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the Jews were sinning, and it was a grotesque sin. And yet God was using that sin for my salvation, for your salvation. Mm. Yes, that's correct. That God uses such circum circumstances to bring the maximal good, right? He wants to right. save people with their own free will, like God. Right. You know, for example, if I'm, uh, I, I, there is one uh, famous example. If a child goes to, a uh, child has a, some toothache and his, she, her, his mother go, uh, take him to the dentist and dentist took, takes his out his teeth and child thing and mother is paying to the dentist and child thinks that why my mother is in, in this pain bringing me here and also paying doctor for giving me much more pain, right? Yeah. So, so indirectly she was doing right. it for his good. But the right. child, yeah. So there are some things exactly. we, we may not understand because the Bible is not giving the direct answers to that, but you, we can uh, figure it out after reading the word of God, right? So, right. so since we are living in this, as we talked about this natural level, you know, and people, people are here, those who are materialistic and we are living in this materialistic uh, world and it becomes difficult to even, uh, even ponder on the non-materialistic realm, such as the afterlife. And people are, uh, I mean, I see people and there are people, those who live with this thought that live once, you know, you live once and uh, die young. These are the some uh, philosophy people are following and they say that this is the only life we have to live. So is there actually have heaven and hell? Yes, there is an afterlife. Uh, the Bible teaches that God has put eternity in our hearts. Uh, we are We are not simply creatures of the moment we are uh we were created to live forever and heaven and hell are simply the places where we become what we have been becoming so we 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 are approaching a um well we become what we've been becoming if we are growing in grace and knowledge and charity and wisdom and love there's going to be in the resurrection of the dead a destination and a culmination of all that in the res in in damnation it's the opposite the person uh has been biting and devouring and being increasingly selfish and eventually you arrive there eventually you you turn into what you wanted to turn into so how do you want to answer this question those people who believe that this earth is the only place of heaven and hell. If you do wrong, you will pay here only. And you know, so how do you tackle such question that this is the place only heaven and hell? The problem is that you see people who do wrong and they don't pay here. 
you see people who do wrong and they get away with it. Yeah. They, they make themselves rich. So basically this goes back to our earlier question of justice. There are some people who are just fat and sassy. They walk all, all over other people. They get rich. They enjoy themselves immensely and then they die, right? And well, apparently that's the way to, if, there, if this life is the only life, if, if this life is all there is, the Apostle Paul says, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, we have the word of an apostle. If this life is the only life, then we should embrace a life of hedonism. Me mm. first. Yeah. Right? And you, and you can't say, well, you'll be paid back in this life. Because sometimes you are, sometimes you aren't. Yeah, true. It is not possible in every case that you have to pay here. Because on right. Is, right, so we have seen many examples those who have done evil, but we haven't seen the justice happen to them here. But eventually, we all will land up either in hell or heaven. So the question is the next question is connected with this heaven, uh, uh, the concept of heaven. That uh, this is a Christian people call it a Christian question that, uh, and this is the old and yet powerful. That why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Okay, first, it's, it's really interesting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed that there would be another way. Mm -hmm. right? so, um, so Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from our sins, to purchase forgiveness of sin for us. And Jesus prayed in the Garden explicitly and repeatedly, saying, Father, if there is any other way to do this, let's do it that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. if, there, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. Why didn't the father say, well, yes, I believe the Buddhists are onto something, or yes, I believe that there's going to arise a movement called, called Islam, and they've got to figure it out. They don't, need a, they don't need to have a dying Messiah in order to be saved. Well, Jesus... One, if Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the father said, no, this is the only way. All right. So the first thing I'd point to is not that it, it's not that I find it inherently repulsive that there be another way because Jesus prayed for that. Yeah. Right. Um, but it doesn't add up rationally. So basically, um, Jesus, if, if there's another way, then Jesus died unnecessarily. And the fact that it was necessary for him to die reveals the nature of our problem. The nature of our problem is not that we're out in the rain picking up rocks. The, the nature of our problem is that we sin. That, that's our problem. And, and because we sin, we deserve to die. So... Uh, in the garden, God said, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall die. In Ezekiel, it says, the soul that sins shall die. In Romans, it says, the wages of sin is death. So the, the problem is our condition of spiritual death. We were, we were walking in a condition of spiritual death, as it says in Ephesians 2, the first verse, for the first few verses there. So our problem is one of death. And so the way of salvation has to be something that tackles the problem of death. Mm 
Correct. And that's and that's why Jesus had to die, because Jesus was swallowed by the dragon and killed the dragon from the inside by rising from the dead. Jesus had to die in order to conquer death. So uh, what happens is that Jesus, when he died on the cross, took all our death, all our sin, all our rebellion to himself and died, meaning that when he died, we died. We, in our condition of death, died. So the, the problem is this. We are all of us are sinners. And the iron rule is that sinners must die. So the Christian gospel is not a way that figured out how Christians, people who believe in Jesus, don't have to die. No, we have to die just like everybody else. What the gospel does is it enables us to die as we need to and then rise again. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus doesn't bring about our death. It brings about our death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So outside of Christ, we die for our sins. In Christ, we die for our sins, but come back from the dead. So um, Jesus gathered up all our sins, gathered them to himself, sank down into death. And then when he came back from the dead, he didn't bring our sins with him. He left the sins there. Got it. Our, our, our sins are as far removed from us as the east is from the west. They're buried at the depths of the sea. So uh, basically, that's why Jesus had to die. And that's why he is the only way, because there is no other way of salvation that deals with that death that way. Yes, true. Very true. And you explained it very well that death is the result of our sin. And since we all are sinners, that is, a, uh, is the result of our sins. And Christ paid that death so that we may have eternal life. We, may, we will definitely die in this flesh, but ultimately we're going to rise up with Christ, right? So right. that was a wonderful to hear that. And the gospel is all about uh, saving us from the death, the eternal punishment the punishment eternal yes. death. Correct. So uh, I want to ask you this question regarding your books, since you have written numerous books, but the book which drew my attention was the Is Christianity Good for the World? And uh, so what is the inside this book? Is Christianity Good okay. for the World? I, I, I need to tell you how that book came about. So Christopher Hitchens um, wrote his book, uh, God is Not Great. And it was his, uh, and there's a lot of th- interesting things here. I believe that, I believe that Christopher Hitchens was actually interested in getting to know Christians, and he couldn't do it without freaking all his followers out. If he started, if he started hanging out with the bishop, people people would start to gossip, right? And so what he did is he wrote this blast against Christianity. Uh, God is not great. And then for his book tour, his book release um, program, he issued a a challenge to anybody who would debate him, all right? It was sort of a come one, come all. Now, he could have released his book and had a Manhattan Manhattan wine and cheese party and had a bunch of fellow atheists congratulating him. But I think he actually opened his book tour in Arkansas, in the Bible Belt, and he debated all kinds of people 
right? So that was his book release. Uh, when he sent this challenge out, I have a friend and an agent here in Moscow who saw that and who contacted Christianity Today and said, would you be interested in publishing a written debate between Christopher Hitchens and Douglas Wilson? And they said, sure. So then uh, this friend, Aaron, Aaron Wrench, contacted Hitchens and said, you issued this debate. Would you debate Wilson in written form in Christianity Today online, which he agreed to do. And so we had an internet exchange online and it, the traffic, it, it was a significant internet event. All right, so uh, I debated him via writing. After the whole, that, that whole thing was over, uh, we came up with the idea of taking those exchanges online and making them into a small book, which is what this um, is Christianity good for the world. That's my debate with Christopher Hitchens. So half of the book is written by Hitchens, half the book is written by me. So uh, we published that book. And then when we published that book, uh, we talked to Christopher Hitchens and he agreed to a, uh, a short book tour for that book. So we, so he and I toured together and we appeared in New York and then Philadelphia and then Washington, D.C. And there was a camera crew that went along with that. And that's where the, the uh, documentary Collision came from. So the documentary Collision was a recording of the debate between the, the debates between Christopher and me. And that those debates were surrounding the release of Is Christianity Good for the World? Wow, that's a pretty interesting story. So to my viewers, those who want to read this book, you can find the link in the description. It is available on Amazon.in. So you can find the book there. So sir, moving on to the last question, which I usually ask every guest that uh, what advice would you give to the young Christians, especially in this internet age where they are influenced by other worldviews, philosophies, and culture? So what advice would you give to them? How to stay strong in faith or if they have doubt, how to deal with those doubts? Yeah. So, the, man, there's a lot of advice I would give, but let me, uh, let me start with um, three basic things. I'm assuming that you're not a nominal Christian, you're truly converted, um, you really love the Lord, and you want to keep your head straight in this crazy world, okay? If you're already a Christian, and you're not just a nominal Christian, but a, a genuine Christian, I would say you have to be careful to do three things, okay? One of them is you need to make sure that you confess your sins. Confess your sins. Don't let sin accumulate, uh, you know, there, there are many people whose lives look like the crazy cat lady's house. They, they've got boxes and debris and trash everywhere because they never take out the garbage. Um, so in your Christian life, take out the garbage. <laughs> Don't let it accumulate in your, in your house. So when you um, succumb to some temptation or other, when you sin, confess it to God. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confessing your sins keeps your house in order. Because what, what will happen 
is uh, if you don't lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily entangles, five years in, somebody's going to come to you with a beguiling philosophy, and this philosophy that he's pitching to you is a philosophy that allows you to sleep with your girlfriend, right? There is no God. Don't worry about it. If you're if you're out of fellowship with God, which you are, if you've not been confessing your sins, then you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be susceptible uh, to that kind of thing. So the first thing is confess your sins right away, honestly, openly. Um, just be a stand-up Christian. Confess your sins. That's the first thing. The second thing is worship with God's people. Make sure that you find a good Bible-teaching church and that you're there worshiping with God's people. You, you can't be the Lone Ranger. You, you can't do this by yourself. So number one, confess your sins. Number two, find, a, find and join yourself to a healthy church where God's word is honored and where it's taught and proclaimed. That's the second thing. And then the third thing I would say is read the Bible yourself. Uh, something that we started in our church is something called the Bible Reading Challenge. We have tens of thousands of people all over the world reading the Bible together. So it, it's not just we agree to read the Bible, but everybody's reading the same passages at the same time. And so you read through the whole Bible in nine months, and then we read through the New Testament together in the summers, and then do the whole Bible again, right, the next year. So it's, a, it's amazing how many Christians haven't read the whole Bible. And I, I believe, and, and the Bible is not just information. The Bible is food. So it's nourishing. Uh, it's not enough to, con you, you want to confess your sins, and you want to go to church and be a part of a church, but you want to be someone who is uh, participating, feeding on God's word as a, on a regular basis as you go. And you're going to find that it strengthens you. Okay. The best, the best understand, the best way to answer worldly philosophies is to, is to really know what you believe. If you're kind of halfway, not certain what you believe, then someone can come and pitch something to you. And you're not quite sure what's wrong with it, if anything is wrong. Uh, but if you're if you have decided convictions that you got from the Bible yourself, because you're reading and rereading and rereading, then you're going to um, you're going to be able to withstand a lot. The, then the last thing you ask the question uh, in the context of the this internet age, this this digital age, uh, the the digital revolution has created a whole mountain of new temptations, right? Uh, internet pornography and just worldly philosophies, all sorts of things. But God, remember, God draws straight with crooked lines, and it's also supplied to us a, an amazing bundle of resources for Bible study and Bible education and Bible learning. Uh, there are websites that help you read the Bible. There are Bible um, Bible study software programs. I use Logos Bible software, which is just absolutely amazing. And I've got how, how many resources I have right at my fingertips. This um, this photo behind me is is not my library. <laughs> it's just it's a 
It's a fake picture. But digitally, I've got something close to that. Uh, right, you know, I, basically, uh, God through the digital revolution has given every Christian access to pretty much every library in the world. It's amazing. And so you can use that. You can use this invention to drive you farther away from God, but you can also use it as a gift of God's that enables you to draw closer to him. Wow, that's a pretty valuable advice. And I think it's worth following. As you mentioned, three steps. And I hope uh, uh, I personally gonna uh, also follow these, the last steps you said that we have the, through this digital revolution, we have the access to every library, all the books and the resources uh, available by different great preachers or the teachers, Bible teachers. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Douglas, sir, once again, for giving your time to this podcast. I really appreciate your time. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And the thing, I just one last postscript uh, on the digital revolution. Yes. Think about how, amaz how amazing it is that where I'm in the Pacific Northwest of North America and you're in India and we're having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. right? We're having a conversation and you can record it. And people in New Zealand and in Russia can yeah. view it. Right. Uh, so this is a good example of the grace of God. You, you use these tools to draw closer to him. I really appreciate the time with you.